everyone, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 56. Today I'm speaking with Eric Schaup, CEO at Peerspace, a marketplace for meetings, co-working, events, and more. We discuss the explosion of the sharing economy, the recent troubles at WeWork, and how Peerspace has managed to avoid falling into the same trap, as well as Eric's experience as a first-time CEO. Enjoy. I'm here with Eric Schaup the CEO of a company called Peerspace, which is a marketplace for meetings, co-working events, and things like that. You can you can basically find uh, a place to, to reserve for, uh, for your very own for photo shoots, you name it, they weddings, anything really. And what's really nice about Peerspace and why I'm excited to have Eric on is that they've built a really sustainable, well, well Eric is, says it's a sustainable model um, for the sharing economy and i'm really excited to have eric on so eric welcome to the podcast thanks a lot thanks for having me so i want to start off with you know typical how we normally start these things off and i like to start with who you are and what you do on a day-to-day basis give give us the rundown in terms of those two things uh so yeah as you said i'm the ceo of peer space um which is a marketplace for meetings and events um, and so my day to day is about uh, charting the course of the company. You know what's important for the next year, quarter, month, week, um, and trying to align the teams uh, around uh, those strategies. And I think probably almost equivalent in its in its priority is making sure we have the right people at the company in the right seats. Um, that's something that I've learned is that ultimately it comes down to the the quality of your bench. Um, and, ha- and fully utilizing them. So I feel like that is, you know, if not the most important, it's amongst the top priorities for me. Yeah, I, I, you know, staffing uh, your, your, your company with the right people is always an important uh, element to have, you know, building a successful business. We've talked with numerous founders, including uh, people from a- who worked at Amazon who are now starting their own businesses and things like that. And and, 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 and I'm, I'm sure you're probably aware that Amazon's hiring process uh, is pretty, is pretty uh, you know, tech, in, in terms of the technical back end that they've put into it, which obviously did cause some issues. But how do you, from a hiring perspective and making sure you have the right people on your team, like what do you look for? What, what's important for you? Yeah, it obviously depends on the role um, and the technical needs for that particular role. Um, but I personally have found that I always do best looking for the, the scrapper, <laughs> you know, I, I look less for someone who has a blue chip resume. Um, you know, that, that can be good, but I'm not naturally drawn to that. I tend to look for the people who have demonstrated resourcefulness and entrepreneurship, uh, and passion in whatever they've taken on. Uh, and I, I frequently try to look for people who have where there's some quick tangent that they've taken in their career, where they, they weren't on this a linear path, you know, which demonstrates to me, uh, again, a, a passion, a curiosity uh, that I just find do, does well. Because particularly at a small company like ours, you know, we're, we're sub 100 people, uh, the job that you have today is going to look very different than it does six months or a year from now, even if you're in the same role, right? Yeah, the needs absolutely. are that are going to be different. And so finding people who are just great athletes as a core uh, set of characteristics, I think is what I'd love to try to find above and beyond uh, a pedigree, 
or even like a long uh, history of experiences. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I like I like the scrappy mentality, that attitude toward you know being able to, not just, um, not not just fill the role right now, but also be able to grow with it, right? And and, and like you're talking about, is it is this something that you also instill, uh, you know, down going down in the organization, like you know, to your exec team and and managers and things like that when they're hiring. You know, I think that we've uh, we've tried to create a consistent culture around hiring. Um, and, you know, I, I, I guess I try to lead by example um, and certainly uh, try to show my biases when we're doing hiring. And so hopefully that is filtered down to um, to all the, the parts of the company. Very cool. All right. So let's talk a little bit about peer space. Uh, so I mentioned before it's a marketplace and as, as you did as well. How, how did PeerSpace come to be and, and what exactly can you use it for? Give us like a, you know, a couple of examples of the way people are using are using the, the service. Sure. So let me start with that part and then I'll come to uh, how it came into being. Um, so there are three main ways that people use PeerSpace. Uh, so one is for meetings. You have 10 people doing a team brainstorm or a planning session for the quarter. Uh, it could be the marketing team, product team, et cetera. Or it could be you know, a 35-person training or seminar. Um, that's what we would generally bucket in the off-site category, those two things. Second is media production. Uh, you know, we get everybody from the CBS News filming interviews for the news to large companies, commerce companies that you would know who do product catalog photo shoots to the next Instagram star who's, you know, uh, videoing their uh, their next post uh, and and so forth. So this media production category is quite large and actually much larger than I expected, and is in every market that we're in. Uh, and the third is uh, just generally events. So think of these as celebrations, largely. Uh, these could be corporate happy hours or Christmas parties or a PR launch event, all the way down to baby showers and weddings and so forth. Although we don't pursue those actively. Um, so it's those three categories of uh, use cases that we see on the platform. And, uh, you know, we have brought to bear 20 different types of space to the platform for people to do these types of events in uh, with, a, with a sole objective of trying to find these undiscovered spaces. So, so rather than trying to find, uh, you know, rather than holding your next meeting in that boring conference room with the bad carpet and the boring food, you know, why not hold it in an art gallery, right, or in a museum? You know, we, we're trying to find these undiscovered gems that you can book for any one of those three uses that I was talking about. Um, and so, yeah, as I said, we have 20 different types of space uh, on the platform today to be booked. Um, and 15,000 spaces in the U.S. Uh, today uh, that could be booked by the hour. Yeah, and, and growing pretty fast. Before you go on to how it came to be, I want to I wanna talk a little bit about these spaces now these spaces are 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 actually owned by small businesses or businesses not by you guys right and you're not leasing Correct. out these spaces um you're actually partnering with these businesses who own these spaces correct that's right uh so and they tend to be you know all sizes uh, we do have a lot of small business owners, like the you know the local art gallery owner, as an example, uh, all the way up to very large uh, multinational corporations. Uh, and I think the thing that is the same about all of those groups is that they're all seeking 
to find new revenue streams for, from a fixed asset, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to pay their rent or they're going to have to pay their property tax on that space, whether or not there's anybody using it. And uh, all of them have idle time or idle, idle time with their space where they could be putting it to good use. And, and so I think that was the, that was the light bulb um, that went off for our founder, I, I'm not actually the founder, uh, Ronnie Shamas, <clears throat> who was uh, in business school in New York uh, back in, I wanna say 2014. Um, and he was going around Manhattan trying to find a place to meet with his school colleagues. And he was having a heck of a time going to the normal places you would think to go, like a coffee shop or something. But every day he walked by this art gallery that was empty during the day. And he said, hmm, that's interesting. You know, I'm having a hard time getting to the coffee shop, the place that everybody thinks of, but wait, here's this amazing, more beautiful, <laughs> quieter art gallery where I could set up and, and meet. So he actually did a deal with that art gallery owner to be able to meet there, and there was a table in, in the art gallery, and he met with his colleagues there. Um, and so that spurred this like inspiration for him that, wow, there is all this unused space literally all around us, and it can be put to a better use. And so it really started with this idea of meetings uh, in these unusual spaces. And then from there, uh, over time, they just kind of followed where their customers or now our customers took them. Um, they didn't start with media productions. They didn't start with, uh, you know, corporate happy hours and weddings and so forth. But customers started to use these interesting spaces for these other uses. Um, and so we just followed them and continued to try to find the types of spaces they needed. Um, so, so it's a pretty cool story, um, and That's you know very, one that very, we very yeah. Cool. yeah. I, I mean, like, I, I, yeah. it's it's crazy, like, you know how things like that. It, it, you know, he he was faced. We were, I was talking about this on an, on a uh, episode of the podcast uh, earlier, um, where we had uh, Peter Pizarris uh, on, who's the uh, founder, one of the co-founders and CEO at CodeStream, and we were talking about how the idea that the best problems to solve as an entrepreneur are ones that you face, you know, personally because you're passionate about fixing them. <laughs> so, like, if if, right. you, if if you if you're if you're actually experiencing this problem, you know, then why you're the one who you know who could potentially find the solution for it. And and hitting That's those right. pain points uh, certainly certainly uh, you know is a great way to to build a, a potential product. So I think that's, yep. that sounds like what happened over here at PeerSpace. And what I'm really curious about, though, is because in addition to, you know, utilizing unused space that's there, right? Um, one of the things I, you know, I was reading recently that, you know, we've all heard about the troubles WeWork has experienced um, recently, you know, especially in large part due to their long-term leases that they have and their spaces aren't being used effectively. And... Um, and now that now that now they're looking for ways to kind of do what you're doing by helping small, you know, uh, by, that you're doing with with helping small businesses utilize their space better. They want to utilize their own space better and, and make it, you know, yeah. make it so that that, you know, that they're constantly that people are you know constantly using it or using it at least more. Um, so it's better. Yeah. Uh, more effectively uh, being used. And I'm curious, how, how would you compare just, just so, just so uh, myself and the audience can get an, an idea. How would you compare the business model for PeerSpace versus what what it, what uh, WeWork is doing? Um, how, how, 
what would you what would you recommend uh, or what would you say yeah. the, the the best um, model is? Yeah. So let me start by saying that uh, WeWork is a customer of ours. Um, they both list their spaces on PeerSpace and that they have used us to uh, find their own uh, events, <laughs> to host their own events through in other spaces that are available on PeerSpace. So, you know, even WeWork, and by the way, there are many other co-working chains that are also right, listed on PeerSpace, like another, another, you know, like Regis as an example. Um, and so even amongst those companies like, we, like, like WeWork, where their business is to lease and then carve up space into smaller chunks, right? And then, then lease it out again. Like that's their whole business. But yet they still have uh, vacant time <laughs> in those spaces, right? So in the example of WeWork, um, you know, there's, there's a, uh, an office here locally where, you know, by six o'clock, that WeWork office is completely empty. And on the weekend, totally empty. Um, and so they, they listed their spaces on PeerSpace and we booked it. And as an example, we did an AT&T hackathon over the course of a weekend in their otherwise empty WeWork space. That's so, yeah, so th they're even in the in the best used real estate, there's still idle time. And therefore, you know, uh, you know, it's just a cost on their balance sheet. So to your question about business model. Um, yeah, we actively chose early on to not take ownership or leasehold of spaces, but to work with existing uh, leaseholders and you know, owner operators to be able to get more uh, revenue from that existing lease. Um, and I think that that has proved itself to be a really smart business model um, because, number one, it puts the um, aligns our goals with our customers. Right. We only get paid in our business model when they get paid. Right. So that gives you this real alignment with your customers, which I think is important for any business to be successful in the long term. You have to have the right incentives. Um, and then second, you know, uh, taking on any kind of real estate uh, investment or leasehold is inherently risky. Um, and, you know, I, as a CEO here at this company, when we did our most recent lease, I was very concerned about leasing for five years because who knew what our business was going to look like in five years. Right. So uh, PeerSpace actively you know, chose to sidestep that whole thing and instead, you know, help people who are already uh, owner operators to derive more revenue from their existing investment. So do you, you guys take a, a commission off the uh, for facilitating the transaction or how, how does that work? That's right. Okay. Yeah. So we take a commission. Um, so we, we take a portion out of the, uh, the, the space owner, we call them hosts. We take a percentage out of the hosts uh, side. And then we also do charge a processing fee to the guest, the person who's doing the booking, um, to handle customer support and uh, trust and safety and credit card fees and all of those things. Gotcha. All right. I want to talk a little bit about you now. Um, prior to this taking this role as the CEO of PeerSpace, you were also the chief operating officer at Scribed. And also prior to that, you were the chief product officer at Ancestry.com. I'm curious, uh, you know, chief operating officer, you're dealing with the, the day in, day out operations of the business. Chief product officer, you're responsible for building and making sure that the product itself, uh, you know, is meeting customer needs and things like that. How has, how have those roles 
uh, prepared you for what you're doing today? And also, how haven't they prepared you? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when I think about my product roles at Ancestry and, and even prior, um, you know, the thing, thing I loved about those product roles was that you're at this center point of the customer, the customer need. So you have to d d be successful in that job. You really have to understand the customer's need. And you have to have an empathy for them and try to solve their problems. And then on the other side, you have the needs of the business. Um, because the only reason why you're building that product is to try to drive the business um, to to new heights. And so that was always very satisfying to me. Both, you know, you have this this emotional relationship to the customer and then this really hard numbers orientation and strategy orientation on the business side. Right. So I thought that was act. <laughs> Yeah. And so I think that was a great training ground for what I find myself doing as a CEO. Um, albeit I'm, I'm balancing more levers than just those two. Um, and so I thought that was, it was just a really great experience in ancestry. And also, you know, having been there six and a half years through it, you know, first being a private company, then a public company and then a private company again and acquiring companies and all these things. Like I got, I just had a front row seat for a lot of really interesting career experiences that, uh, and I, I guess I had a lot of chances to make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> so, uh, definitely helped me to um, fill out my uh, professional experience. Um, and then when, it went, when I came to Scribd, uh, I would say that the big thing was, uh, that was a big shift for me. I, I owned everything at the company other than product and engineering and finance. So I had marketing, business development, um, uh, recruiting, et cetera, et cetera. And so for me, I was missing, uh, as, a, as a product manager, I was missing those experiences. And, and so it was good for me to get experience with these other domains because I think it helps me to be able to better manage the organization as a CEO. Um, so I think that was that, both of those were great training grounds for me. Um, and I think that the maybe if I were to zoom out from both of those, like the, I think the biggest learning for me was about always seeking out things that for which I am passionate about. And I would juxtapose those two companies. I was very passionate about what Ancestry was doing, even though I wasn't a target customer. I loved that it was making this real difference in people's lives. Um, that you know, for, for 15 bucks a month, you could learn something about yourself and your family that you could not learn anywhere else. Like that was a pretty cool thing. I would go to our conferences and people would actually come up and start crying about some Thing that they had learned about themselves which was like amazing um yeah, juxtaposed yeah absolutely oh my gosh yeah like i said i'm not the target customer but i could relate to them in a really deep way um you know juxtaposed against my time at scribd which was also great but i was never passionate about what that company did and, that, and that's not at all a criticism of the company it's a fantastic company and it's well run and all that stuff but i was never passionate about the service itself despite the despite the fact that I'm a big reader, which is who they cater to. Um, and so I, I think when I left Scribd, what I, what I took away from that was, man, I've got to go after something that first and foremost, I'm excited to go there every day. It's not about, it's not about the title, it's not about the resume. It's like, am I invested emotionally in what this company does? Um, and I think that's important. Uh, bring it back to like, how has this prepared me or not? Uh, that's particularly important in a leadership role because people can sniff out your level of passion, right? And yeah, they will, if, if you, <laughs> you are passionate about what you talk about something, 
Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and people, are, people are excited to work with and be led by people who are genuinely excited about what they're doing. Um, you know, there's no way to hide that. So I think those, all those things were great preparations for me um, for the current role. And I'm like so happy about that I found PeerSpace because for me, the, the emotional itch that it scratches is that I love this idea of bringing people together. Right, that we are all sitting behind our devices these days and not having enough kind of one-on-one -on -one time. Um, and there's always something magical that comes out of a group meeting or a group get together or whatever that was not possible otherwise. And I just love that this company is about bringing people together in these unique environments and that lead to unexpected outcomes. Um, that is like a very emotionally uh, satisfying for me above and beyond just the, you know, the fact that it's a good business. So net net, I think the biggest learning out of those two things was, you know, go after your passions for sure. Yeah. And I, and I, I found, you know, through my, my advice and my experiences when I'm, when I tell people, when I'm talking, talking to people and just hearing other, other founders and executives who have been on this podcast and just me talking over the years to numerous people, it always boils down to the passion, right? Yep. Every single time, especially as, you know, you coming in as not a founder of the company, but coming in to run it, right? It's, I think it's even more important that, you know, that you have a passion for what what's being built at PeerSpace in that sense. I, I imagine that in the decision criteria on the part of the founder uh, and ex-CEO, Ronnie, and the board, I imagine that was a big criteria for them, right? That they, that they would bring in someone who could carry forward that same spirit and same love for what Ronnie had, had built in the first place. Definitely. So we're seeing the explosion of the sharing economy, right? Over the, Especially over the past few years. Notable companies like Airbnb, Neighbor, Storage, Turo, and obviously you guys in PeerSpace – couple things one are you concerned about companies like airbnb kind of encroaching on this space that you're in and how do you see this separate separate question how do you see the sharing uh economy continuing to evolve yeah yeah on the airbnb question um i would start again by saying uh, you know airbnb are is a customer um their employees uh have booked uh i think over a hundred book a hundred events with us. Um, so they're a customer. So, uh, now they are going after consumer and business travel. Um, and so I think that they're, they're the core of where they're going is not meeting as an events, although it may touch on that. Um, and I think that if they do encroach on our space, I think what that does is it validates that we're on the right track. Right. That there is actually a really large market to attract someone like an Airbnb here, which we believe there is, that there's a huge market. So I think it's very validating if that occurs. Um, and if they do occur, if it does occur, uh, you know, I, I'm not worried about it because the whether they do or they don't, the only way for us to win um, against uh, someone like an Airbnb would be to just be to go as deep as we can uh, and be as successful as we can in this meetings and event space. Um, because they are going to be spread across many different domains, everything from hotels to overnight stays to experiences to whatever. Um, and we're going to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and being a domain expert in meetings and events specifically. Um, and I think that is really 
our long time, long term strategic advantage is just to be a pure play meeting and events um, service. If they so, do get into that space, maybe they're a potential acquirer of pure space. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that thought has crossed my mind, uh, but that's not something I think about too much. Um, you know, for for that, us to be attractive as an um, an acquisition would mean that we would be uh, we have to be a great uh, business a standalone, right? A yes. great standalone yes. business makes a great acquired company. So, um, and then in regards to how the sharing economy is evolving, you know, I think what we are seeing is that uh, increasingly consumers are looking for marketplaces to uh, uh, have a viewpoint. Um, so not just be a place that aggregates all supply and demand of their given domain, whether it's cars or it's overnight stays or whatever, but that the marketplace, whether it's Turo or ourselves or Airbnb, that we're actually, actually playing an active role in curating the experience um, and ensuring that things go well. Um, so you certainly see this um, in the news with Airbnb most recently that people are, you know, the, the people are holding them to task for recent shootings that occurred in their spaces. So I don't think that as a marketplace operator, it is going to be satisfactory going forward to simply be a place where, you know, listings of supply can go and people can then buy them. Um, I think that we need to be ensuring safeguards for both parties involved um, to make sure that the, that the transaction goes well and that, that the supply and the demand that are on the marketplace are well chosen uh, and vetted uh, so increasingly, we, you know, we, we can't just be a hands-off marketplace. Uh, we have to play a, an active role in ensuring uh, successful transactions occur. Absolutely. And I, you brought up a really interesting point. It's not just about being a marketplace that people can easily kind of list on, uh, although obviously it should be, you know, easy once they're vetted. H how, how do you guys, how do you guys think about or approach the vetting process when you, you know, you, you find a space, you think it's, you think it looks great. Um, what do you, what do you, what do you look for when, uh, when, uh, when, when you're scouting for new locations to list? Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's two parts of it. Number one is, uh, is the space, I guess maybe it's actually three. Is the space great? Is it in a good location? And is the host great? Right now, not unlike when you go and you're, you're looking for your next house or your apartment you're going to buy, there are things you can see online, like is this an attractive space? Is it in a good location? And then there's some things that you can only experience when you're there, which is like, is there a lot of traffic on the street? Is it loud? You know, uh, are there a lot of kids? You know, whatever. And so we can see uh, from the outside what the space looks like. We can see if it's in a good location. So that's part one. Like, let's make sure we get great spaces that we know we're going to get booked for the types of uh, events people are trying to hold. And then, then there's the second part of like, how do we make sure that this is going to be a good host, right? It's like, can't know until we have some experience with that host. So uh, what we've done over time is we've really honed the types of spaces that we know we're going to do well, and we actively go try to acquire those. And for those who come to us organically, we uh, really try to emphasize the ones that we know we're going to do well, and we spend more time with them. In regards to making sure they're going to be good hosts, what we do is we provide training to them in the form of content and guidance 
posts through both the screens on the site as well as additional content that we send them about what it means to be a great host. You know, let's, let's define that for them. Um, and so that we can try to get as many of them to be successful hosts as we can. Um, so I think those are like, that's like the main part of it uh, up front. And then what happens is once they're actually listed on the platform, we are ensuring constantly that they are living by the policies we put in place for uh, both parties' uh, success and safety. Um, and then we let market forces also take over. You know, those that are in the right space and have the right pricing and look great and are responsive to guest requests, guess what? They get booked and they get great reviews and they, they pop to the top. Um, and so at some point there is some element of market forces that drive the best people to the top um, and the worst ones to the bottom. Right. As you would expect from any good marketplace, right? So that's right. So that means it is working as it should be, which is great to hear. Um, that's right. I'm, I'm curious in terms of your inbound versus outbound kind of leads. Uh, are, are, are you guys doing more inbound or more outbound right now at this point in time? And what's your kind of goal with that? Yeah, I'd have to go and look at the numbers, but I suspect that today we get far more organically inbound listings than we do in our outbound efforts. Um, and I suspect that over time it will become increasingly more organic. Um, and usually where we use, uh, our own, um, inside sales team to go acquire new spaces, it's really in two scenarios. One is it's in a new market where we don't already have a presence and therefore we don't have the organic supply coming to us. Um, so there's always like a, um, a booting up that you have to do in a new market. That's one. And, this, and the other is even in, in existing markets, we sometimes find that we have gaps in our supply that we know could be booked um, for certain types of events because we can, we can see the demand. We can see people searching on the site for certain types of events in certain areas. Um, and that's the benefit of having done so many transactions is we have like these patterns that we can look at and we can look for gaps in our supply. And in that case, we will use our inside sales team to go and do a more targeted strike on certain types of supply um, to add to the marketplace. Right. No, I mean, so that that's really interesting. I I, I, I know that for me, when I was building a product at, at my at the, the other company that I had started a few years back, my analytics company called Kaya, streamlining the onboarding process was insanely critical for getting people on board and and using the product how important uh is it in your case at, at PeerSpace to make sure that the the uh, the listing process is as easy as possible for these businesses businesses that want to list on the site and 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 what are you what have you done to have you made it has, has was it always easy or did you have to make an improvements over over the years or how, how has it been yeah it's interesting for us, when it comes to the, the, our supply side, we want to make it easy, but not too easy. <laughs> and and the, why I say it that way is that um, the people who are going to be good hosts are going to be the people who are really invested in being good hosts. And so if you allowed, for example, like in, in the extreme, let's just pretend that we just went and, and ourselves, we listed every space it's in the world, like that the host didn't have to do any work. 
I don't think that's going to make for the best hosts, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to make it easy, but not too easy. Um, And so over time, we have definitely improved our process of uh, how uh, our new hosts list their property on the platform. Um, and, and, And even though we've been around for over five years, even just this last two weeks, we've been making improvements to that process because we realized that that there were people getting stuck in a certain part of the process that was unnecessary. Um, and so, yeah, we continue to make refinements on that and probably will always be trying to make refinements to that over time. Definitely. What do you, uh, have you ever, have you ever, have you, have you, have you ever had to kick a host off the platform? Just, <laughs> yeah, no, we, we actually do that every month. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, so we have, uh, our own criteria about uh, what, how a host needs to perform to be part of the marketplace. Um, because really, there's nothing worse for a prospective guest who comes to the site and, for example, they submit a request to a space and they never get a response. Right? That, that just that reflects, poorly, yeah, it reflects poorly on us. And certainly on the hosts themselves. So we do set certain criteria for how those hosts operate on the platform. And we actively call the supply that is just not living up to those standards. And I suspect that over time, we will raise those standards higher and higher um, as our expectations from our, our guests become higher and higher, right? If we want to if we want to expand the market, it's about um, being the no-brainer option for people who are trying to do a meeting or event and you do that by making sure that every time they have a great experience yeah right you want it to be scalable and you want it to be an amazing experience every time and uh like you said the only way to do that is to kind of filter out cut out the bad weeds um and make sure that you know you only have the good ones there so that way your customers on the demand side uh have great experiences and keep coming back to your marketplace to find new uh, listings uh, for other right. things that they may want to do. So yep, spe- exactly. Yeah, and speaking and speaking of uh, demand from the demand side, uh, this is something. This is a topic that I, uh, you know, is 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 always talked about pretty much in any kind of marketplace, and that's discovery. How mm-hmm. important, or what are you doing to enable you know better discovery? Of spaces on, on the platform yeah if you think about it discovery is our business right that, that's yep. the whole business matching <laughs> yeah. matching up the demand and supply and so um, you know I think where the rubber hits the road is um, well it's really in two places one making sure that we have the right supply at the right price right so that we have the right products filling the shelves and they're well merchandised um, so that's part one, and that's all about better understanding the demand that's in the market. And really, uh, as I said earlier, the, the the person with the most data wins, right? Because they right. can see patterns that others I'm can't. Sure you guys actively, you know, look through those search queries to determine if there's a market that you're not, you know, uh, meeting the need for. You know. The yes, we're. Yeah. Yep, and we are constantly looking at that, um, particularly given how broad our platform is you know i was telling earlier that everything from meetings to media productions to uh you know celebrations you know those actually break down even further and you know actually the 
people can choose up to 100 from 150 activities on the site that they're trying to do. And so for us, to, we, we have to keep sub-segmenting sub, sub the business to try to see whether or not we're satisfying that one niche over there in this one market. <laughs> and, and if we wanted to do better with it, what, what would we need? We need better supply, different pricing, you know, and so forth. So we're not just selling the same widget to everyone. We're, we are selling different widgets to people who have totally different needs. Um, so I think that points to what we're trying to do on the discovery side these days is that we are um, trying to sub-segment the site. So not unlike when you go to Amazon uh, or eBay, if you're going to search for computers, you're going to find filters on the left side. They're all about megabytes and terabytes and things like that. Whereas if you're trying to find a, uh, a new shirt, it's going to be all about colors and sizes and things like that. Well, we want to uh, enable users who are looking for a uh, media production to be filtering our spaces by, you know, how good the sunlight is and how much, um, you know, how loud it is in the space. You know, if you're trying to do a video production versus when you're trying to do a meeting, we would try to look for, well, are there breakout rooms or how many people can it handle? What configurations of uh, the tables can it have? So we're trying to sub-segment this really broad set of demand that we're having coming in to help those people better match with the supply that they're looking for, for their specific event. Have you got, I, I don't recall when I was on the site, but ha, have you guys looked at uh, recommendation kind of technology where it's, you know, you're looking for this type of space here, are other spaces people have booked that are similar um, or is with the, or are you concerned that that may uh, negatively impact, you know, the, 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 the hosts? Um, yeah. So, um, whenever somebody expresses interest in one space, we will offer up additional ones that are like that one. Um, and so we do have algorithms that are running in the background that help us to better, uh, surface recommendations of the other like spaces, um, based on what the person's looked at and behavior of who's booked what in the past, um, so yeah, we are making those recommendations at the point that the guest is locking in with a particular space. Uh, we don't try to wrest that away from that particular host, but at the point of, of like consideration, we want the guest to be considering many options, not just mm -hmm. the one that they clicked on first. Makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so I want to get to the last question before we hit the lightning round and it has to do with, uh, back to you you've been the ceo of peer space for almost two years now as a first time ceo how would you evaluate your performance uh to date uh i would give myself a, a b <laughs> or, or b, b minus maybe okay. <laughs> um i think i think that's mainly about uh me having really high expectations of myself um look the business is doing really well <laughs> <laughs> I, I this is doing really beat myself well. up over that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like for those, for those people who have progressed in their career, generally that comes from one of two places, right? Their motivation comes from one of two places. Either it's that they are massively uh, fans of themselves and they think they can do anything and they're just <laughs> propelled forward. And the other is one of being hard on yourself and always trying to improve. And I think that's where most of us live, right? Is in that second bucket. And I'm no different. 
Um, and so I, what I was about to say was that I think the, the business has done really well. I think it's been put on a much better uh, financial footing than it was before I got here. We have more discipline in place. I think that it, it, it is the type of company now that we can really scale to the next level. Um, and look, I, I just I always want to be growing even faster. I want us to be moving faster, right? So I don't know that I'll ever give myself an A. Um, but you know, look, it's been a it's a been a fantastic learning process um, uh, over the last almost two years. Uh, and so I've been so thankful to be in the role. And I think that I, I, I've definitely grown um, during the time, which was what my original objective was for coming here. Any uh, surprises or things that, that happened or that you didn't expect to have to deal with? You know, because I've worked with worked for CEOs closely for a long time, I knew conceptually what some of the problems were going to be. Um, but that's totally different than actually living through it. Through it, <laughs> and so I think that's been the surprise. Like, even though I thought that I was like prepared, I wasn't really prepared. Like, I only knew it in a conceptual sense, not in the visceral sense of actually having lived through it myself. And so, like, and the, the two examples I would point to would be um, that the the feeling of responsibility that like the buck really stops with me. Like, you can get that conceptually. Uh, and like, I've certainly had that in my own domains as a, as a VP or chief, whatever in, in other roles. But when you're actually the decider, right. <laughs> you know, well, it no just feels different. To go to. <laughs> no so that feels differently than how you would concept, conceptualize it. Um, and the other kind of smaller example would be, I knew that as you became more senior in your organization, that you heard less and less truth. Um, and that, you know, that people are less, less willing to give you the real story. And I found that to be much more true in the CEO role than my other uh, operating roles. Um, and so I've had to really dig, you know, to try to get the real story sometimes. So you find out of, I guess that's the, that's the lesson. <laughs> no, I was just saying you find out about many things I, after the fact or, you don't get the full story until, you know, you realize that, um, you know, bleep is hitting the fan at that point. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it just requires you to not take everything at face value. Yeah. Awesome. Well, do you have any, uh, before we, before we get to lightning round, do you have any tips in terms of handling or dealing with these types of things, uh, that, that you would, uh, recommend? Uh, you know, for me, it, 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 this is not innovative, um, but my, for me, it is surrounding yourself with people that you trust. Um, and, you know, even in my last couple of roles, I've had people around me who I didn't trust. And that can just completely uh, sideline any kind of efforts you're trying to undertake with them. Because as a senior leader, you're relying on your next level leader, leaders your leadership team to do the right thing at all times, because you don't really want to be micromanaging them. You shouldn't be. And if you can't trust their judgment or you can't trust that they're giving you the full story, even when it's negative, then like you're in trouble. Um, so I guess I would just say that if to the degree you feel like one of your team members, whether you're the boss or not, so somebody that you don't trust, you either need to get to the point of trust with them by building a relationship and finding places where, you, know, you can be open with each other or they just need to go or you you need to go either one but 
the foundation of a successful team or a successful company is built on trust amongst the key players. Um, so I think that would be my main tip. And again, not, not very innovative. Not very innovative, but it is in fact true based on my experiences as well. And I think one of the great things about you know doing these podcasts and talking with people such as yourself all the time is that you hear these types of you know stories and, and anecdotes and things like that you know based on people's experiences and you realize you know everyone's kind of dealing with a lot of the same stuff and and there are good ways to handle and and work through those things and then there are not good ways but one thing is for certain that the the the, the ways that are most successful seem to bubble up to the top when you talk to smart people and it's good to hear that you know even though it's not innovative let's say even though i you know uh even though it works and it's true um it that meant the fact that many people are saying this and doing and using these things and are being successful there's got to be something to it right so <laughs> yeah and i think i think maybe the, the the additional tip is that you have to like follow your gut like i've had people where i had this sinking feeling that I wasn't getting the whole story and like inevitably I was right <laughs> like three yeah. months later when I should when I should have listened to that gut much sooner right <laughs> yeah. you should have saved yourself a whole lot of headache potentially <laughs> yeah and for everyone else too right exactly awesome well Eric you made it through the hardest part of the entire episode so congratulations <laughs> it's <laughs> now you. time for the lightning round which of course is supported by Wix you can create a professional website today at wix.com. That's W-I-X.com. So, Eric, whenever you're ready, let me know and we'll get started. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Current number of unanswered emails in your inbox. <laughs> uh, it's probably been like 50 while I've been on the, on the phone with you. <laughs> I, I, I don't doubt it. <laughs> Would you rather live a week in the future or relive a week in the past? Hmm. Good question. I think I'd like to live a week in the future. Nice. I always like the future. It seems so so shiny. It's rosy. <laughs> yeah. Would you rather be able to read minds or teleport? Read minds, for sure. I feel like, you know, a lot of people, it's gone both ways. Uh, read minds, you know, seems good, but at the, you know, you you got to keep in mind, you basically know what everyone's thinking all the time, and you really want to do that. But I guess sometimes, yeah, you, fair enough. <laughs> sometimes you do though. Um, but yeah, uh, which celebrity would you most like to have a meal with? Hmm. Gosh, uh, I don't know if it's a celebrity, but I was just watching the uh, Gil, uh, Bill Gates documentary. On Netflix, and he just seems like such an amazing uh, person. I would love to uh, grab a meal with him. It's it's on my two watch. Oh, so good! Oh, definitely worth. Yeah, you really get a whole new sense for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Last one. Here we go. If someone made a movie of your life, would it be a drama, comedy, rom com, action film, or science fiction? It's probably a black comedy. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm really, I'm really glad that we had a chance to have you on the podcast. This was a lot of fun to talk about the sharing economy and peer space and, you know, the future of essentially 
being able to go on these different types of marketplaces and 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 meet supply and demand for all different kinds of things i mean you know there's that neighbor storage uh thing for example uh, company for example where you can literally use someone else's space to store your stuff now granted i always am a little security conscious about things like that but it's really cool that these types of things are being thought about and and putting out into the world and in some respects i would yeah. i would argue that it's a return to the old ways right mm -hmm. people just interacting with other individuals to do whatever the thing is whether it's storage or it's renting a car or uh, doing a meeting and event um so i think it's a, it's a return to a way that humans naturally work is on a one-on-one -on -one basis um, these marketplaces have just made it a lot easier to discover things and made the whole transaction a lot safer right and, and you know lower risk easier to to uh, fulfill, but it, I think it's fundamentally tapping into something we as humans desire, which is this one-on-one -on -one interaction. Definitely. Well, Eric, uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you after listening to this, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, just shoot me an email. It's eric, E-R-I-C, at peerspace.com. Awesome. Well, Eric, thanks, thanks again for being on. I look forward to uh, keeping in touch, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Jeff. It's been really fun. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Techie Bytes. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.